September value, as Pastor Jeff just said, is expectancy, and we want to continue to talk about it. Last week when we spoke about this, we used it in the context of our collective worship and, and what our hearts is, again, that we would never expect perfection of you, nor you of us, but you do expect, and together we expect that we would have hearts engaged to not only sing together, but just to worship who Jesus is. And when we use the word expectancy, here is what we're saying. We see this every single week, and this is no exception. So we trust at Life Center that the Holy Spirit is moving. Therefore, our posture is worship. And so whether that's with song that we talked about last week or serving, which we're going to talk about this week, or measured in taking a step, we engage. Everyone say, we engage. So we're not just an audience. We are a body together. That's what we are. But we engage with hearts that are hungry, that they're humble, that we are surrendered to God, but also soft towards one another, and that we're holy. In other words, that we're set apart, that um, you cannot be the same substance of something and expect to make a difference of that substance. You have to be transformed or changed and be different. So we need to be different than the world around us, not better, but different than the world around us, but with this hungry, humble, and holy hearts that we expect that the Holy Spirit is moving. How many of you know the Holy Spirit doesn't stop moving on Sundays? That he moves Monday through Saturday as well, that he wants to use every single one of our hearts. And so this week, as you have just heard, that we want to talk about the power of your yes the power of you saying yes to Jesus, you can use my mouth, you can use my mind, you can use my eyes, you can use my hands, you can use my heart, you can use my feet, you can use my wallet. Turn the person aside, you say, be careful. <laughs> but you can use my life to make a difference for your kingdom. You can use me. And here's the thing, that when others use your life, you can, you, you can end up feeling depleted or sometimes, again, when others use your life, you can feel used. But when God uses our lives, it fills us with life. It fills us with purpose because it's He is our creator. He created us not only for a purpose, but on purpose. The scripture says, and the psalmist says in Psalm 139, that you and I were knit together in our mother's womb, that we're fearfully and that we're wonderfully made. So we are not here by accident. You are not born at this time and this season by accident, but by a divine purpose that God wants to use your life in every single one of us in a significant way, but it comes in different sizes. And so the church of Jesus Christ, who we are as a church, we are built on a blood-stained cross, an empty tomb, and a poured-out Holy Spirit. So the church is built on Jesus' yes, not our yes. The church, his church is built on his yes, not that we take credit for it. All word, all honor, all glory goes to Jesus. However, each individual church takes a group of people coming together with individual yeses and a collective yes to say together, God, you can use our lives to be a representation of you in the world. Last week, I shared with you that since the beginning of July, 32 people have given their lives to Christ, and I want you to know the number today is 37 people have given their lives to Jesus since July. And so again, there's this expectation of what God is doing. 
And if you're new or you've just given your life to Jesus or rededicated your life to Christ or you're, you're come back to church, you're here, you've been, you know, maybe it's your very first time, your very first season, or it's been a while, I want you to know just a little bit about the church that you find yourself in. As we started as a church in 1981 with six couple, oh, sorry, three couples, six people, two of which are Pastor Barry and Joyce, and over from 1981 to 2019, yes? Yes? Okay, from that time until this time, so we started with six individuals. There are now more churches planted through Life Center than people than it when, when it first began. But here's what I want you to know. Nothing starts without somebody saying yes. And nothing starts with not just one person saying yes, but others beginning to say yes along the way. So what started with three couples, six people, grew to a lot of other people saying, yes, we'll join. Yes, we'll serve. Yes, we'll sow. Yes, we'll begin to build this together. Now, again, Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But every single local church is this vision-casting moment that our collective yes makes a difference in the world in which we live. And so, again, in 1981. But there are two defining characteristics of the church that you find yourself in. The first and our foundation is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, which says, love never fails. And what we're talking about there from the beginning of our church is that God's love never fails. How many of you know that when Jesus said in his word that he promises never to leave you or never to forsake you, he meant it? Now, some of us have tested him on that, or we test often on that, but he meant it. That when we surrender our hearts to him, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. And so it's vital for us as a church to understand that it's not our love that never fails. Ours does. But it is God's love that never fails. That on your best day, God loves you. And on your worst day, God loves you. On your best day, God loves you. And on your worst day, God loves you. I'm going to say it again because some of you on your worst day are going to need to preach that sermon to yourself. That on your best day, God loves you. When on your worst day, God loves you. When you don't love you, God still loves you. Now, God loving you doesn't mean he approves of everything in our lives. Don't misunderstand that. The Father says that he loves us, so sometimes he disciplines us. But God never disciplines us out of his wrath. God is love, and from his love flows those things to transform our hearts. And so again, Rooted in the love of God is incredibly significant for us as a church. I would go so far and be so bold as to say anything other than our lives rooted in the love of God will at some point break down. Any, any part of our life that is not rooted in the love of God will at some point begin to wrestle. Well, at some point, so again, if you're trying to be a good Christian, you're trying to earn God's love and earn his approval, at some point, you're going to be brought to the end of yourself where all you can root in is what God has done for you. And again, it's not because he doesn't love you that he brings you there. It's because he loves you so very much. So 1 Corinthians 8, but also we are a church about growing, that we are growing together with Jesus to make a difference in our city. So again, as a church rooted in the love of God, we wholeheartedly believe that God is a God of growth. Now, when you hear the word grow or you walk out and you see the word growing, here's what I want you to understand and hear with both ears and your whole heart. 
please, when you hear the word growing, please do not only think bigger and better. That is not kingdom growth. In fact, kingdom growth sometimes looks like pruning. Sometimes kingdom growth doesn't look like up and to the right. Sometimes God will bring you down low to bring you back up. Because there's something about yourself that you can only learn down here, but more importantly, there is something about who God is that you can only learn down here. And so when we talk about growth, please, in North America, it's not like bigger and better and I want the next and it always has to get on that treadmill. Why does that matter? Because as the church in North America, I fear at times that we exchange the presence of God, so his presence for our progress. That often becomes about proficiency and not about his presence. It can become about how well did we do it versus did God show up in our midst. Now again, like we've been saying, when two or three are gathered, he is there in our midst. But we are trusting that it's not just an awareness that God is, that our eyes are open to say that in this moment, lost people can become found people and healed people can become whole people and people who are bound can become free. And none of us, we can, none of us can do any of those things in our proficiency, but in God's presence, all of those things are possible. You with me? Are you breathing? Okay. So God is a God who, who grows, who brings health to our hearts and lives. We all fall short, but when we fall short, God meets us there. I want you to know that God's purpose for your life is not a tightrope. It is a narrow road, but it isn't a tightrope. Has anyone here want to have an honest moment? Has anyone here Ever in your life, when God told you to take a right, you took a left. Can I see your hands, please? Guess what? Your GPS in your phone can reroute your wrong turns. Have more faith in the God of heaven who created you to reroute your life in any moment. That's a Craig Rochelle moment. That's a Craig Rochelle thing there. But you got to have more faith that God, it's not like when you went left, God said, where did you go? I'm only looking over here. He knows the beginning of your story from the end of your story. He has provision in our fallenness, and he has purpose in your left turn. That he can work all those things for our good, and we can continue to grow in him. And so again, it's critical to understand that when you look at the book of Genesis, the Bible starts as a garden with possibility, but it ends in Revelation as a city. And so there's this, prog there's this progress to what God is doing that he's cultivating and flourishing and building together. Here's what's critical, is we don't expect you to grow at our pace, but we do expect you or we do desire you to grow in his purpose for your life because the bullseye on the target of this church is not our seating capacity, it is our sending capacity because every single one of us goes somewhere when we leave this place. And it's not just what God does in in our hearts here. It's what he does in our hearts here is to be shed abroad out there. Did you know that a very low, like under 5% of followers of Jesus today actively share their faith? Church, we need a fresh move of God to hit the church where we, our heart is broken for the things that break God's heart. And what breaks God's heart are those that are lost that we need this fresh revival in our hearts to, to not only say, God, can you use my lifestyle, but you can also use my mouth. Because here's what we know is true of every single one of us, whether you're watching online right now 
or whether you're in the room right now, here's what we know. We all have a measure of faith, every single one of us. You may be here and you don't know Jesus. You have a measure of faith. It's just usually misplaced. Maybe you have a faith in yourself or in your circumstance, whatever it is. So we all exercise faith. It's just we often have a different source where we're anchoring that faith. So we all have a measure of faith, and we all leave this place, hopefully before 4 o'clock. That's a joke just for the new people. If you brought someone, they just turned and looked at you like, what did you just bring me to? We all leave this place, and we go somewhere. And where we go, we are positioned by God on purpose. Whatever the job description is, where you go, there is an earthly job description and a heavenly call in that place. That you're not only there to fulfill every obligation of your job description, but you're also there to be an influencer for Christ. You're also there to be salt and light wherever God sends you, whether that's Algonquin College or Ottawa University or St. Paul's or Carleton University or high school or junior high school, whether you work in the government or you work in the private sector, where you work in education, wherever it is, that every single one of us have a measure of faith. Every single one of us have opportunities every single day for God to use our yes, that God, you can use my hands, you can use my eyes, you can use my heart, God, you can use my life, your yes is significant for the move of God that we're in. You're not the Savior, and I'm not the Savior. Only Jesus is. However, our yes is very, very significant. The Scripture says in Romans 12, verses 3 to 5, for by the grace given to me, bloodstained cross, empty tomb, poured out Holy Spirit, all that Jesus has done, for by the grace given to me, I now say to everyone, everyone say everyone, not just the elite, not just the spiritually elite, not just the people who have it all together, not just the people who are really smart, not the people, no, 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 not just the church folk. To everyone, Paul is talking now to the church in Rome, so not the people who are churchy, all of us. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And then it says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned that God assigns, when he looks at the whole world, he assigns measures of faith proportionate to our lives and what we can steward and how he can use our lives to make a difference. So we have different, we all have a measure of faith, but there's a proportion that's different. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though, many are one body in Christ and then in Christ, individually members of one another. So we all have a measure of faith, but it may be different. That's a setup for where we're, go where we're going. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus, there's also other things that we have in common. This scripture we read a few weeks ago. Couldn't have even been last week. I'm just not remembering in this moment. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7 says, There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Everyone say, my call. My call. 
You may not be called to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher. You may not be called to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. You may not be called to full-time occupation within a church, but don't mistake every single one of us are ministers of reconciliation. Every single one of us are the priesthood of all believers. It is not, the church was not built like, like the Scotiabank place or whatever in the world it's called right now. Is it still called Scotia? Canadian Tire Center is what it's called right now. Sorry, we have a little bit of ownership problems. We've renamed it 84 times, but that's not a point that either there. That's just a prayer point for me. Nevertheless, it's called, uh, what's it called? Yeah, the Canadian Tire Center. 18,000 people watch 10 people on the ice. That is not a picture of the church. That's a picture of entertainment. The church is not ever supposed to be 400 of us gathered together watching a select few. No, no, no. This is how God moves in our hearts and lives. But we are all priests and believers. We are all being built up. We are all the body of Christ. Every single one of us called on purpose, for purpose, to make a difference. It just may be on Monday, your ministry is a little bit higher than what I'm doing on a Sunday, but every single one of us are called. One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one faith, or one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace. Everyone say, but grace. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure. Everyone say, the measure. There it is again, the measure of Christ's gift. And so fair ended in the Garden of Eden. I promise you, that at some point in your following Jesus, there's going to be three words, if you're honest, that you're going to say, and they are, it's not fair. How many, Bible school moment, how many disciples did Jesus initially call? How many? What was the number? Thank you. Yeah. Some of you are like. The answer is 12. Everybody? Even if you're new, just go, like when you're in school. It's good. works. 12. Notice how many times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, people wanted to be a part of that 12, but Jesus said, no, I need you to go back to your city and proclaim everything that I've done in your heart and life. Fair. It's not fair. Now, post-Holy Spirit, we get called in. But at that time, in that season, it's not fair. And out of that 12, did you know that he had, had an inner circle of three out of the 12? If you read through the scriptures, do you know what oftentimes the greatest disputes, some of the largest disputes among the disciples were? Which one of them was the greatest? Send the person beside you and go, that's what happens when you get a bunch of men together. <laughs> Which one is the, us is the greatest? And Jesus had to constantly course correct their hearts and their lives constantly course correct their hearts and their lives. But it was 12, and from that 12, it's three. I'm sure the rest felt at some moments, it's not fair that you're spending so much time there. But God's heart isn't about just fairness. It's about freedom. And he may permit somebody who you see in one season, it seems like they're, they're, they get to get away with this. And you're in another season over here, and he's got his finger on that area of your life. And you're going to be tempted to me look around and go, how come how you don't have your finger on their lives? 
because sometimes God is going to press for your yes. In my life, I remember a time and a season where Lori and I were in Toronto. Here's why we were in Toronto. Not to watch a hockey game. Mm-mm. We were there to watch a tennis match. Like with the ball? That they hit? Yeah, yeah, that one. And we bought tickets for the whole week. It wasn't called the Rogers Cup. I don't remember what it was called. When it was in Montreal when we were growing up, it was actually called the Demorier Championship. Could you imagine in this day and age naming a tennis match after a pack of smokes? <laughs> Montreal. But we had bought tickets for the entire week. But the match, so we got down there like a day early, and we went to a Rodney Howard Brown church service. And our hearts, we were serving, we were loving Jesus. And in that service, we felt the Lord press upon our hearts that we weren't to be at the tennis matches at night where we in the house of the Lord. And I said in my heart, it's not fair. But let me tell you, God did something that week in our hearts that no amount of entertainment could do. Why do I share that? Because if you believe that God will never interrupt your previously scheduled plans, you is delusional. And if you believe that there is no cost to being a follower of Christ, that is equally delusional. Now, that cost is pretty, the cost of tennis tickets is pretty insignificant with what followers of Christ have to pay around the world, church. But here's what I know. What was God drilling? We weren't in ministry at that point. I mean, we weren't in the full-time ministry. What was God drilling into our hearts? What is our life going to be about his purpose or our agenda? Now, I'm not saying he that every single time we've planned to do something. No, but there are moments and there are seasons. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the, on the heart. And so again, God's love for us is equal. God's call for us is equal. God's commandment on all of us is equal. Go and make disciples. It's not unique to you, nor is it unique to me. God's call on every church is the same. His commandment is the same. And his commission that we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, the Shema, and all our souls and minds and strength, and we love one another, that the greatest command he gives us is that we go in love. That's equal for all of us, but his purpose for us is different. That his purpose is to use our lives, but it's different. But for every yes, for every yes, there is a cost. Oftentimes in our world, they try to get you to have a yes first, and then they slip in the cost at the bottom. It's called the fine print. Jesus puts it right up out front. And he says... Unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, 
that there is a cost. There are things that you can do as an individual in certain seasons. It's not that they were ever okay, but God is working on other things. But he loves you so much that in a certain season, all of a sudden he'll put his finger on that and he won't leave his finger off of that because there's your next yes. It's not only that he's the savior of your life, that he wants to be the leader of every part of your life. That he'll put his finger on an area of your, of your life. And it is this place of trust, that is this place of vulnerability. And even if you don't get it right, he loves us enough to redeem it, but he'll come right back to that place. Again, because he loves us. Do you know that to build anything, whether it's a ministry or a church, it takes specific yeses from people in the local church body to say, God, you can use my hands, you can use my time to build a healthy and strong local church. It takes all of our collective yeses. Did you know, we celebrate this, but did you know there's about 30% of us who have said yes to serving at Life Center, which I'm here to tell you that's amazing and we celebrate that. However, about 70% of us can say yes to serving to make it a little less heavy on the 30% who did. But also I'm telling you, again, it's not just to watch those who are serving, but to get in the game. And I don't say it from pressure or shame. I say it from a place of purpose that you are needed to make a Jesus-sized difference. That you are needed to make a Jesus-sized difference. That Yes, it'll cost you something. If you join the worship team, it may cost you an early Sunday morning. Absolutely. If you join to sign up from the nursery, it may cost you a dirty diaper. Yes. Yes. If you sign up to you know, serve with the students, it may cost you a Friday night or it may cost you a student who is just growing, trying to figure out who they are, just bouncing things off of you and you're just faithful. Yes, it may cost you that. I understand that there are seasons where you've got to take a breath. I understand that there are seasons where maybe you just come in or you've been bruised and you need healing. I understand all those things. But your Christian life, my Christian life, our Christian life is never to be lived on the bench. It is to be lived in the playing field field of what God is doing. And I know that I know that I know that he doesn't just move on Sundays. He moves Monday to Saturday, but he also moves on Sundays. And we are looking for your heartfelt yes. God, you can use my life to make a difference. How many of you know that oftentimes when we look at others who have said, yes, God, you can use my life, or yes, I can stand in the gap, or yes, I'm going to pray, or yes, I'm going to serve. When we look at their lives We can, again, look at it through rose-colored glasses. And Beth Moore, who the ladies have a simulcast next with, by the way, something's happened to Beth Moore. She's not the same as she once was. There is something beautiful that God is stirring in her heart. And so I can't wait to hear vicariously through. Those of you who are going to go to the simulcast. But here's what she wrote this week. That she reminds herself over and over and over again. And I think it's worth reminding you this morning and me this morning of is that those who chose to be brave, like Daniel and Esther, perhaps like your grandmother or grandfather, your uncle, your brother, your spouse, whomever you look to to say, man, they served, they sacrificed, they gave, they built, they were all in with their yes. Those who chose to be brave were just as scared as you are. That those who chose to love and to stand up for truth in their generation were equally loathed as you will be. That those who chose to speak up, they had just as much to lose as you do. And I do. 
that those who, who chose to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that his church is eternal, that his plan A for the world in which we live in, that it's the most worthy thing that we can build, that those who choose to believe also wrestle with the same doubts that you do. And those who finally got a yes heard just as many no's as you hear. And then Beth Moore in her southern accent says this, nobody can be faithful for you. You do your thing. That nobody can be faithful for you. You do your thing. Because if your spiritual enemy can't defeat you, which in Christ he cannot, the next two things are pretty effective. He can distract and delay your yes. And so growing as a follower of Jesus, I understand it's not about fairness. It's about freedom, that God chooses to profile who he chooses to profile. And can I tell you, those tests never end. That again, you may be here and God chooses to celebrate and profile someone else and you're doing the same thing. And your little heart goes, why, why are they celebrating them? Actually, I know them. I'm better than them. We never say it out loud. It just grumbles in here. We experience all those things. Growing as a follower of Jesus is understanding three things. Seasons, surrender, and steps. Seasons, surrender, and steps. We all experience different times and seasons in God, including in your following Jesus. <gasps> this is why I'm not overly athletic. You're all going to experience a flip the coin season where you're going to be wondering, is it worth it to keep following Jesus? You're going to experience discouragements and disappointments. Turn the person beside you and say, you may even let me down. Look this way and say, you may even let me down. <laughs> Look this way. You may even, no, no. It's called flip the coin seasons that you go through where you wonder, is the pain worth it? Is the sacrifice worth it? Is it worth it? What we're really asking is, is he worth it? I'm not excluding or excusing unhealthy behavior. I'm not excluding or excusing those things. But I am just saying, when I read the Old Testament, I think that the Jesus, Jesus, or God led the children of Israel through a lot of flip-the-coin moments. When I read the Old Testament, I see that God commanded seasons where they would feast and seasons where they'd fast. Which one would you prefer? Yeah, feast. When I look at Moses' life, I don't only see a season of him in the spotlight. I see years of him on the backside of a desert being formed and shaped. You see seasons of hiddenness where the same person and character is present, but they're just not being profiled. There are different times and seasons. Quick hint, though, seasons should come and go if your whole life is being defined by one single season, it might not be a season you're wrestling with. It could be a stronghold. James chapter 4, verse 6. Listen to the seasons here. God opposes the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God or surrender. Come under his lordship and leading. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I mean, that's a good promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Watch this, though. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then James 4, verse 6 to 10 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, that there are appropriate and different seasons. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he's the one who does the lifting up. There are different seasons. And we all surrender. Every one of us surrenders. Some of us surrender to God. Some of us surrender to this is my lot in life. This is how it's been. It'll always be. Some of us surrender to the whim of circumstance. But we all surrender to something. To grow in Christ is to learn to surrender not only to his love, but to his leading every single day. And so your following Jesus will lead you at some point to your first yes, which for some of you is today, and your first yes is, Jesus, you can save my life. I am a sinner in need of saving, and you can let us know on a card. That's your first yes. But it's not your final yes. God, I will trust you in this season of my life. I will surrender to your leading and to your guiding. 